Welcome to episode 20 of Pub Theology Live, where we enjoy different brews and discuss different views about life and faith. I am getting an echo here. Anyone else? I, I thought it was part of the heaven episode. <laughs> Absolutely. That's you and your brain. Awesome. Welcome to episode 20. How did we get to episode 20? It feels like we just started this last week. Uh, exciting uh, to see that here we are at episode 20. And tonight's episode, number 20, is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar is a family of retail craft beer stores focused on amazing beer, hospitality, and education with 25 locations in 11 states across the country. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you. And you can win some free beer from Craft Beer Cellar by joining in on our conversation. You can follow us on Twitter at Pub Theology using the hashtag PTLive. Uh, comment on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash pubtheology. Um, any other place you might find this, maybe Google Plus on our Pub Theology Google Plus page. Um, comment anytime on the episode, um, and um, at the end of the month, we will pick a winner for the most, uh, what are we doing, the wittiest, the most engaging comment? Pretty much um, just the one we like. <laughs> purely, purely subjective selection of our winner. Um, so know your, your hosts here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so watch us, watch us live uh, every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. at pubtheology.com slash btlive, or you can listen on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us. Absolutely. And tonight on episode 20, we discuss, will there be beer in heaven? God, I hope so. Pressing question on everyone's mind. We'll also talk about why is context important when seeking to understand Jesus or any other figure from history? Why is deconstruction sometimes needed in the journey of faith? And is there tension between the gospel as proclaimed by Jesus and the gospel according to Paul? My name is Brian Burkoff. I'm a pastor and author of the book Pub Theology, and I'm in Holland, Michigan, tonight enjoying a Perrin Brewing Company No Problems Session IPA. Excellent. We don't get to see the bottle? Yeah, you did, you, remember, we, we might have some viewers. No problems. And uh, with us, as always, is Tina Simmons. Welcome, Tina. Hello. Um, so I tonight. Oh, Tina Simmons. Um, you you guys always say that you're ministers, and I'm just like I'm Tina. So I'm a mom, graphic designer, writer, and account manager. So you're the lay tie that all together. What? He's the layperson on the show. You're the layperson. Oh my goodness. That's not a bad. What do you mean? That's not an insult. That's. Church is made At least you didn't call me the uneducated layperson this time. Thank you. I'm improving. Uh, my skills know. are all in my math, Ogan. Listen, that. virtual community <laughs> is clergy and lay people. This is our this is our little spiritual community here. We need lay okay. people. So I'm in your world here, is what you're saying. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm drinking a bottle of clean slate. We're glad you're drinking. Yes, we are. Riesling. And anyone listens to the show knows that Brian and I are in your world. So, yeah. <laughs> Clear about the hierarchy going on here. And welcome, Nobody Ogan. My world. Hi, I am Reverend Ogan Holder. I am at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts, and um, I am drinking a Sun Juice. This is a Belgian-style summer spiced ale, and I was hoping it'd be a sunny day while I'm drinking it, but it was just all kind of blacky and rainy today. It is, it is low 50s, and I had to turn the heat on. 
It is, okay, end of May, and I'm turning heat on. Something wrong. Now, sun juice, isn't that what you drink when you can't get to the tanning bed or it's winter and you can't get to the beach? I'm about to pour it all over myself. Just so <laughs> <laughs> Is it good, Ogan? It sounds like good. Look like me, come born with our tans. Thank you very much. Hey, there, we, there we go. There we go. I won't tell you that it was 83 degrees here uh, in Michigan. How is that even possible? That's just wrong. It's Good coming way. our way, though, because it's supposed to be in the 80s tomorrow. And you know what? I just realized something. We need a sound effect for when Tina does an eye roll because, I mean, Ooh. you want to get it when you're watching uh, watch, watching the, the video. So if any of you are listening to this on the podcast later, please go watch the video because her eye rolls are now like they take up her whole face. It's more like a face roll. When she, wow. Do I do it that often? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. See, this goes back to our whole discussion in the, the pre-show where I don't have that ability like Brian does to not facially react to things. We call it a filter in the real world. You don't have a facial filter. <laughs> I don't have a facial filter, yes. No, no, you know, you don't. Well, that's okay. I don't have a verbal one. We all have our, we all have our weaknesses. So you had uh, 50 degrees. Uh, I, I even made it to the beach today. had a guest in from California and had to show them that Michigan is not just about snow, and we actually have sunshine and beautiful sandy beaches. That's but awesome. In the end, he still went home to California. So as as well as as well as most of us will probably do. Uh, <laughs> the answer to his question: This is absolutely delicious. Nice. Heavenly. <laughs> I got to put it in my I got to put it in my untapped app, but I don't have my phone on me, so I'll do that later. Yeah, so what? Uh, what is the most heavenly beer you've ever had, or maybe the best beer you've ever had? What can you think of it, or if not, share your favorite style and and what would make the the best beer? Um, do Shandy's count? Wow, I think. Why would We're just going to cut this off right now. <laughs> oh come on, man! A Shandy, it's a mix. It's a mix of beer and lemonade. Well, is, I know, uh, but why wouldn't they count? Well, I don't I love Shandy's. Because I mean, strictly, it's not. It's not like you know, beer, beer. It's it's kind of a diluted beer. But neither is Miller Lite. But people still drink that. Yeah, yeah that doesn't count either. <laughs> there may be beer in heaven, but there certainly won't be Miller Lite. No, there won't. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nothing, nothing by an American brewery that has the word light after it will be. All right, all right. So go ahead. So uh, a good shandy on a summer day. So a good, a good shandy. My my favorite is. Um, from Barbados, or local Barbados Banks Brewery, award-winning, mind you, international mm -hmm. award-winning um, beer that they have, but they do a shandy called Twist, and it's a delightful mixture of Banks beer and um, a lime-lemon mixture, and it's a very low alcohol content, so you can consume a lot of it before you really start to feel the effects of it, but it's absolutely delicious, and it is it is my all time favorite um, alcoholic beverage. One time, my mom came to visit me up here in the states, and I made her pack some in her suitcase, and um, some of them broke <laughs> the glass bottle. Oh, no! So all her clothes, she opened a suitcase, and all her clothes smelled smelled like beer. So we had to go wash them. But yeah, Ogan, why are you eating my blouse? Exactly. <laughs> Why are you ringing it over a bowl? <laughs> exactly. Got to get all. Gotta, we can't let any of it go to waste. <laughs> I bet she loved you that day. Every last drip. 
Every last trip. She never, she never traveled with any more after that. She's like, you'll be all right. How about you guys? I'd probably go with a uh, some sort of Belgian, uh, maybe a Belgian triple or a Belgian quad. Uh, it's got you know multiple layers of flavor, uh, some spices, some some nutmeg, and it's got that kind of yeasty uh, Belgian taste going on. Um, so there's, and it's usually a higher ABV, higher alcohol content. So it's you know between eight and a half, ten percent. It's gonna say if it's a quad, it's multiple layers of alcohol too. Those 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 tend to be strong. Yeah, they usually serve those in a in a smaller snifter, which is a rounded um, goblet kind of glass, um, usually 12 ounces instead of a full pint. But so good. You just refill. You just refill the snifter and get. The yeah, pint. you just say uh, another round, please. Exactly. There you go. How about you, Tina? Um, well, you know me. I'm more of a wine person than a beer person, but I do have to say, uh, my favorite beer is out. It's a uh, it's in a brewery. It's a small brewery in um, Vancouver, Washington. Mm. And I, w I went to order it one time because I liked the ingredients in it. Um, I can't even remember. It was like lemongrass. Like it was just a bunch of weird stuff in it. And I, I went to order it and she's like, the waitress is like, oh, I, you know, I think you should probably do a sampler first. So she brings me a sampler with all different kinds of beer. And I try this one and I'm like, I love this one. And she's like, wow, that's the one you wanted to order. It's called a Vantucky. And um, it's from Heathen Brewery. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. Heathen Brewery. Awesome. Brewery in Vantucky. So if you guys if you guys come out and, and visit me in uh, Vancouver, then you have to come to Heathen and have a Vantucky with me. Well, we know they'll be serving Heathen beer in hell. So that's. A <laughs> so, I know some of our listeners might be concerned more about that question. Maybe. I'm kidding. But, you know, I have to say, Brian, if if there's no beer in heaven, I don't think people would be lining up for it like they are. I'm just uh, saying. Fair point. Fair point. Fair point. So before we go down that trail, is it, you know, what's the uh, strangest beer you've had or the strangest ingredient that you've had in a beer where you were could have been good or maybe it was funky? Um, I'll I'll tell you about the strangest beer I've heard about that I have not tried that I don't think I'm going to try, but. Um, I th think it might be from Japan. I'm not sure, but you know, as part of the fermentation process of making beer, um, you have to add yeast. So there's this brewery that um, makes their beer with yeast from a certain part of a female's anatomy. Ew. Oh. Yeah, it's a mm. true thing. Where is that at? I don't remember. I'll look it up while y'all talk. It's called it's called Infection IPA. <laughs> so gross. Just like, no, not I interested. Downhill today. Uh, no, okay, so uh, I had a beer uh, over the winter that had um, it had a lot of things in it, but it had curry in it. And it had like um, some kind of some kind of spices and curry, and it was. It was really good, actually. It sounds kind of gross, but it was really good. I think I would like that. Yeah. I felt like I just wanted to pour it on some rice, you know, and some chicken. And <laughs> it's a good accompaniment, you know? Exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. You ready for this? <laughs> so the, uh, the beer is called Yoni Beer. Yoni, Y-O-N-Y. Y'all know what the word uh, Yoni means? Yeah. It's it's basically the Sanskrit word for vagina, yoni. Okay. Uh, um, there it is. And it's made from the yeast of a woman's vagina. It features a sour aftertaste 
and it's made from what is the company? I think it's just I forget. You know, you know, there's nothing really right about any of this. So <laughs> anytime you feel like not giving us more details about this beer, I think we'd all be on board with that. <laughs> okay, uh, you asked. I'm teasing. Oh man, I'm only I'm only thinking of the listeners here. Uh huh. I'm sure you are. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. I, I did how ask. Do you find these I things. Ask. I you don't I don't know how I find these things. It just you know I'll, I'll be honest. I'll I'll try anything once. There you go. This is this is an after show discussion. There you go. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, will there be beer in heaven? We all kind of say, yeah, of course, but, I mean, talk about that a little. Well, for me, since heaven is a present-day state of consciousness, there is already beer in heaven, and we're drinking <laughs> it right now. Kaboom. Kaboom. I think beer is of this material world, and we will not miss it when we're not here. So you're implying that heaven is when we're not here. Ah, so heaven's a non-material reality. To me, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I tend to lean more toward a material reality uh, and sort of a either a renewed creation or a reincarnation type of deal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. okay. So explain that. Say so that wait. again. Explain this because that is shocking to me. You didn't answer the question. No, I want to hear. Let him go down this rabbit hole first, because oh. that that was a little shocking to me. Well, so heaven, not, heaven not, to is a material. Yeah, well, there's a there's a biblical vision of uh, of sort of this whole creation being restored or renewed, and Paul Apostle Paul talks about um, Christ reconciling the whole creation, the whole created order, um, and and so pretty classic Christian idea is that uh, heaven is not actually some place we fly away to or if we do it's a non-permanent thing while we await sort of the renewal of all things including the physical created universe um, and that we then live eternally in sort of a, a renewed earth and so all the best of our physical existence will be a part of uh, heaven. So do you think there's going to be apocalypse an apocalypse and like a complete destruction before that renewal happens? No, I don't. No. You think we're just kind of kind of slide into it? Yeah, it's a I mean the the details of how that's going to happen are a mystery to me. Uh there's a lot of theories about it, but I don't sign on to uh a big dramatic apocalypse in which either everything is destroyed or in which you know, magically, you know, trumpets and angels and Jesus come out of the sky and, you know, roll back the scroll, as the old hymn says. Um, so, I, yeah, in my mind, it's in my mind, it's more of a gradual, uh, a gradual renewal uh, that God's going to do through human beings. So, what are we renewing to? Because renewal implies that it was working at some point. When was it working? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. I think before before ask great questions before humans evolved. Before humans evolved, nice. <laughs> it, was a, it was a literal paradise on Earth. Uh, humans showed up and it all went downhill after that. 
<laughs> so, I mean, you know, to be honest, I have a lot of questions about what happens after we die. I don't hold a lot of strong, definitive views. Um, but at least I'd like to think whatever there is next, yeah, there are. there's beer, there's the things we enjoy doing, there are people we care about, there uh, is, an, you know, in so the best... If there's beer, are we still in this bodily form? Does our body still work the same way? Will we get drunk if we drink too much of it? That's a great question. Again. You can, it's like that beer in Barbados. You can just keep drinking it, and it keeps tasting awesome, and you're not getting drunk. Yeah, not, but, not, but you are getting a slight buzz. <laughs> you just stay in that buzz, perpetual buzz. Right, there you go. I didn't say you didn't get drunk. I just said it. you didn't realize. You don't realize you are till you're there. It takes exactly. a while. It sneaks up on you. You know, this bottle says, please do not operate heavy machinery or participate in a podcast while drinking. <laughs> I knew it. Now you're in trouble. My goodness. Wait, is that me dinging? Um, it might be. I don't hear any dings. Um, so, oh, we got some commenters on beer in heaven. Okay, go for it. There will be beer in heaven for you, Brian, if you're still in love with it, and conversation, if you can still converse. And then someone asked, will there be cats in heaven? Oh, no, we don't want to go down that trail. <laughs> Choco cat! <laughs> Save us. Save us. That was bad. It would be funny if we get to heaven and it's run by cats. That would be hilarious. Did you like though that the photo I pick, the photo I used was of a beer in the clouds, and then there's this random cat in the clouds next to the beer? Of course. Yeah. I mean, what is that? <laughs> cats are in control of everything, don't you know? I think that's what it is. Yeah, is yeah. is the cat in sort of a divine role, like overseeing? Sort of who gets into heaven and providing beer, that kind of stuff. Well, wasn't the cat a, a, a revered uh, creature in like in a lot of mythologies, Egyptian mythology? The cat was pretty important. That's a good point. Um, it would make sense if cats were running our election right now. <laughs> oh. Cats were like, okay, let's let's take this to the next level. You cats ain't seen nothing yet. So, so to go back to something you said that you, Brian, that you don't have definitive. Uh, uh, ideas about what happens right. uh, after death. Um, right. A, what are some of your undefinitive ideas, and how do how does the fact that you don't have a definitive idea inform how you show up now, how you live your spirituality, your Christianity? Does does the afterlife even matter? Yeah, that, that's a great a great. Uh, question. I think, I, to, for me, it's not a huge part of of my faith or what I dwell on. You know, I'm not I'm not believing in Jesus so that I go to heaven or so that I don't go to hell. For me, uh, it's compelling to follow Jesus because of all the things He said and did that were relevant to this life uh, about loving my neighbor, caring for the poor, um, turning the other cheek, um, you know, seeking peace uh, at all. You know, at all possible opportunity, um, and so, really, uh, yeah, my my faith connection at the heart of it is, yes, this this sense of being known and loved by God, certainly, but then that that needs to spill over into our world in such a way that impacts the very way we live as human beings, that that impacts the social fabric, and uh, brings justice and reconciliation where it's 
it's needed. Will so, you be disappointed if when you die there is no heaven afterwards? As no, because I think if there's not, then I will not have consciousness and I won't uh, have a brain or mind to be disappointed. Uh, so those are the scenarios. Uh, well, so I kind of have or no heaven and no conscious. Yeah, kind of. I, I think I think either uh, there will be a, a renewed existence with consciousness, um, in which I still have a you know personality that is recognizable as me, or I think it could just be all she wrote. Um, there could be other scenarios, you know, like I go into a holding tank and just kind of sit in a deep freeze for time to come back for reincarnation, few, few millennia, and then you know God says we're going to start this whole thing over in a different galaxy. And oh yeah, that uh, that Burkoff kid, let's bring him back for this. And well, how about holding tank and then you get reincarnated in 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 you know on this place. same same place. Well, I mean, certainly that could happen. I don't lean toward that possibility, but that could happen. Okay. I feel like we need some indigo girls here, you know, <laughs> talking about reincarnation over a couple of beers the other night. There you go. Nice pull. So uh, what do you think, Tina? You you mentioned that uh, you think of heaven as a non-physical place. So in that he's, could, not, he's not going to heaven unless there's wine. So. Could there be beer or wine in heaven in that scenario? You know what? I, I don't know. Because um, I'm sitting here thinking about what you're saying, and it kind of makes sense if, if you know, we're all focused on this. If we focus on love and creating, like you said, justice for all, and and you know, we end up creating peace on earth. Maybe that was the intention. I mean, lifespans are getting longer. Maybe maybe that would happen. But to me, there's um, to me, we're we're more than this physical world. Like I almost think that this is like a training ground for us for whatever comes next. Um, and I don't think whatever comes next is where we spend eternity either. I think they're <clears throat> it's beyond our comprehension. But I, I don't think our our physical forms or whatever. And and maybe you're right. Maybe you know we go back. <laughs> maybe we go back into the soul bowl until they pluck us back out and send us somewhere else or whatever. But um, you know back I don't know. Soul bowl. Soul bowl. Um, do you think we come up it's with like these a little grab machine? There you go. Do you think we come up with these ideas about uh, heaven and afterlife um, as a way to comfort ourselves because we can't, we we don't want to think of ourselves as finite or that we're afraid of death or or the, the the idea that you know when we die, like you said, Brian, lights out and and we can't really handle. We can't handle our sense of that sense of impermanence. You, so, are you asking, do we come up with an idea like heaven just to protect yeah. ourselves from the harsh reality of non-existence? Perfect. You said it much better. I think that's absolutely a, a possibility. I mean, you have to have that theory on the table because we all know that as human beings, we tend to um, think in ways that benefit us or provide comfort. Um, and so, you know, it, it certainly helps us in a time of suffering to imagine that. Right. or in a time of a loved one suffering, to imagine that when they die, uh, they'll be somewhere that's safe and where the pain is gone and where I'll see them again or know them again one day. Of course, we want. it's hard for us to think otherwise. Well, and, and it's the whole purpose of life thing. I mean, what's the whole point if we're going to blank out and nothing's ever going to happen? Like, what was the whole point of all this then? Ooh, the, well, the point is what you make it. 
But if you blink out and you don't even exist, who cares? Like, what does it matter? Well, maybe it doesn't. Oh. This show's this show's, show's going to get nihilistic real fast. Uh, yeah, this is just like <laughs> I'm going to cry in by the end. <laughs> I'm going to need the I'm going to need the hard stuff here. Uh, <laughs> my word. Let's let's move on to another question before we get a little too depressed in ourselves. <laughs> well, I think Paul says in First uh, Corinthians, if there is no resurrection, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. One of my favorite Bible verses. <laughs> Ah, and a little wine, <laughs> and a little wine for thy stomach's sake. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Even if he was speaking against that particular view, but you still, you still will sign on. So um, the uh, New Testament scholar uh, Paula Fredrickson, I believe from uh, up your way, Ogan. I think she's at Boston U. Uh, she says that the process of building up a context or a thick description of the immediate environment uh, that we draw from uh, contemporary sources is fundamental to the process of historical reasoning uh, in general and to reconstructing the historical Jesus in particular. That was a mouthful, but in short, she's saying we need to understand the context and the world that Jesus lived in if we want to understand Jesus um, as best we can. And so the question is why, why does context matter? How has learning about the context of Jesus helped you in any way, if it has? Uh, and have you seen people use Jesus out of context in ways that you think, ah, I, I have a hard time thinking that's what Jesus meant? I, I think anytime we talk about Jesus in our contemporary time or any time after his passing, uh, we are taking him out of context. And um, the part of context context introduces nuance. I always like to say context is king because in context, that's when you get the relevant meaning and deeper understanding as to what the person was saying and what they meant. Um, we, don't, we don't just tend to say things you know, for no reason extemporaneously yeah, unless you're me. I do that a lot. But <laughs> in general, people don't. There's something going on around them yeah. Um, and they make, you know, cultural references to what's going on. So here's here's Jesus in a very Jewish context, a very uh, and an occupied first century Jewish context. What is he really talking about? You know, there's so many theories. Is he talking about, you know, um, our liberation from a soul point of view, a spiritual point of view? Is he actually talking about coded? Uh, political liberation from the Romans. I mean, there's all kinds of theories that we impose upon what Jesus said in order to, you know, either validate our point or, you know, interpret it through our lens. But we weren't there. Even the parables that he spoke make more sense and are a little more relevant um, to the audience that he's speaking to. Um, we don't you know, when he speaks about the Good Samaritan, we really don't get the impact of what it means, what it meant back then to make the hero of the story, the Samaritan, and paint the priest in a poor light, because we, we have no concept, I don't think, um, especially in this American culture, of that sense of vitriol. Uh, we may be developing it now, if we were to tell a heroic story for some people, where 
uh, where a Muslim was the hero. And some people will be like, well, I don't want to hear that story. And other people will be like, you know, that's perfect and not blink an eye. So, so context is really, I think it's the only way that we can fully kind of begin to grasp and understand. The problem is none of us in this day and age are ever going to be able to fully understand a first century Middle Eastern context. We, we, we just won't. Right. Well, I, I think that's the difference, though, between, I mean, because I think there is wisdom in every story that can last through the ages. So there's the difference between grasping the wisdom in the story and dissecting the details and trying to live by the details today when they, they completely don't apply because we're living in a world that is, it would be completely alien to Jesus. And I think, yeah, but I think the wisdom that we pull out of a story is, again, based on the context that we're currently hearing the story. Still wisdom. Yeah. Whether but, it's what was intended or not. But if it's not the wisdom that was intended, then is that okay? I mean, if the yeah, story... Yeah, it's a great as long question. As I think as long as it's wisdom and it's based in love, it's organic. Everything is organic. And, like, Brian gets, you know, different um, messages from the same story that I get, but it's meaningful and impactful to our lives. Like, it, it doesn't, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it, it can still be important without knowing the details of the time and place and why he was saying what he was saying. You know, it's kind of like the classic challenge with uh, poetry, right, with uh, interpreting or understanding the meaning and symbolism in poetry. Uh, and poetry, uh, like art, is kind of often in the eye of the beholder. And so one person may read a poem or hear a poem read and say, oh, man, you know, this spoke to me in this certain way, whereas the author of that poem might say, that's not what I meant at all. So where is the true meaning of the poem? Uh, is there a true meaning of the poem? Is it what the author intended? Is it the one the reader derives? Um, those are all questions uh, that are also in play when we're reading ancient texts uh, because obviously the initial writers had something in mind um, and then the Jesus that they're drawing upon, if we're talking about the gospel text, they had, you know, Jesus had something in mind, but then they're writing years later, so how much are they catching verbatim? How much are they interpreting through a theological lens, depending on their audience? Um, well, well, there's yeah. a lot going on. It, there, there is, there is, and and yeah, we know we know that the authors of the Gospels, you know, wrote wrote with their particular um, uh, slant in order to make Jesus show up a certain way. Um, totally. But a lot of what I think happens, and and I don't think there isn't any Jesus-based movement that's not guilty of this, is that is that we've come to interpret Christianity in a certain way, whether, you know, on one spectrum, fundamental evangelical, or on the other spectrum, you know, new thought movements like Unity and UU. Um, this is how we've chosen to interpret Jesus' words, and then we put Jesus into that mold and and make him fit that mold. So, you that's know, right. that's that's why so many, you know, we all talk about Jesus differently and why he was here and this is what he said and what it really meant. So in many ways we're kinda all I don't want to say making this up, but we're all imposing our interpretation and belief onto onto Jesus. And because we weren't there and in that context specifically, we have kinda no idea that what we're saying and imposing on him was kinda what he meant. 
So in a way, I don't want to say it all it all makes it meaningless because it doesn't because right. whatever interpretation we want to hold onto ushers in our own some kind of spiritual transformation within ourselves. So from so in that regard, as like Tina was saying, you know, if it's a wisdom that we have uh, created that's apart from the original thing, it, it still serves a good purpose as long as we are clear that that's what it is and not like definitively this is what Jesus meant. I mean, we can't even definitively say right. this is what Jesus said. So if we can't even start with what he said, how can we even broach into what he meant? Yeah. And so, go okay, ahead, Tim. No, you go first. All right. Well, I was just going to say we know that even um, after Jesus would share a parable or a teaching, often his own audience didn't understand him. The people who were sitting exactly. right there, you know, were like, what, did, what in the world did he mean by that parable? We don't have any idea what he's talking about. And so I love how, you know, we often think, well, we get it. We know, you know, with kind of a wink and a nod to Jesus, we know what you meant, even though the people sitting there right with you in 32 AD, uh, you know, along the lake in Galilee, they had no idea what you were talking about, but we know. That would be 28 AD. I know where you get 32 from. Yeah, I, you know, it's a ballpark. Which date's right, man? Well, some believe he died around 33 or 30. Brian, did you see the giant eye roll on that one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The camera shifted a little bit. So if, I, only, I guess... if only I could get the context for that eye roll, I would understand it at a deeper level. <laughs> so I, I guess my whole thing, though, is if that's the case, then why are some people so adamant that they understand Jesus so well that they feel like they're allowed to speak for him? Because of the meaning, because of what it means to them, the meaning that it has for them, and and the fervent belief in that, um, and it's it's weird to be very objective about it. So you know, for for myself and the way that I've come to, or or the the interpretation of Jesus and his sayings and his works, the one that unity holds on to, you know, that metaphysical approach to it. That's the one that 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 works for me in my context, my belief system, the one I comfort with. I'm very clear that it's just that an interpretation. Um, so it's very it's it's sometimes a stretch to believe in something that you then can objectively say this may not have been the thing that the originator intended. Mm. You get what I'm saying? That puts you in a weird place. How do you reconcile that? I believe in this, but that's not maybe what they meant. Yeah, what do you think the role is, uh, Ogan, for um, especially preachers or teachers of the Bible in giving that sort of caveat that, well, here's my understanding or my take or my interpretation, but... You know, there may be more to the story, or I may be getting this a little bit wrong, or maybe even a lot wrong. So for me, the bigger question is, why are people sitting in front of us in the first place? Mm. Like, why are people coming into churches and spiritual communities, those that are still coming? That's a whole other discussion. Um, why, why are they coming in? Are they coming because there is some yearning within them for a deeper relationship with the divine? Or are they coming because, you know, that's what we do on a Sunday morning culturally, we go to church? Are they, you know, what are the reasons they're there, you know, and um, I think my job or the job of a minister is is to say to them, you know, whatever inspiration you're seeking, whatever connection you're seeking with the divine or with other people here, 
here's a way you can look at it. Here's some teachings um, in the Bible, for example. Here's here's some teachings in the Bible that might help support what you are trying to seek and find and unfold. So, so you're I a therapist with different tools, is what you're saying? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I wh what I'm providing is what I'm providing is the spiritual context for their life. Not providing, um, um, but yeah, in the in the sense that's what I am. So so here I am thinking that you know we have different aspects of ourselves. We got the mental, we got the physical, we got the emotional, and I believe the spiritual is just as valid an aspect. So I work in that spiritual context. Back to the context question. So I think my role is to help people realize, remember, and learn about the tools that work within the spiritual context that you, they can apply to every other aspect of their life. The therapist, you know, psychologist works within the maybe mentally Actually. emotional. You know, your doctor, your medical doctor works within the physical, and they all kind of overlap and are all needed. And, and you're right, and I, I think that's a great way to look at it. I posted something on Facebook today about how healers are not somebody that you go to to heal you, but to show you how to heal yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's so true, But it, because I'm sure you guys experience this, where people come to you and expect you to fix them spiritually instead of giving them the tools to fix themselves or to heal themselves. Yeah, I think especially when we're talking about the spiritual life or the inner life, um, that's that's the role of a of a good uh, spiritual guide director what what have you uh, is to open people up to what's already within. Yeah, I when 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 people come and they're in great spiritual angst, I often uh, congratulate them and celebrate with them, even though they're not in a celebratory mood, because I like to say, you know what, that means transformation is abound. There's something being stirred up within you. Yeah, you're noticing. You know, and and you you're you're going to the next level of whatever unfolding, uh, you're going to. So yeah, I think that's kind of my role. Is is I I like to say um, we're here to be uh, creators of the conditions that allow spiritual unfolding. Absolutely. So um, one of the books that was helpful for me uh, in thinking about this whole context question, um is a book on um, the parables called Parables as Subversive Speech by William Herzog. Uh, and then I think subtitle was something like Parables as the Pedagogy of the Oppressed or something like that. Um, and what he does is look at a number of the parables Jesus taught and note all the sort of socioeconomic, sociopolitical dimensions that are present in those parables and then he does a lot of the background work um, for, you know, first century working conditions in Rome for, you know, um, laborers at different levels, slaves at different levels, um, landowners and what they would be like and their roles would be like. And when he does some of that work and then you read the, you read the parable again, it's like, holy cow, here I thought this was about like God and, and forgiving me. And you realize, no, maybe like a money lender is actually a money lender and maybe a worker who didn't get paid a fair amount at the end of the day is really someone who got screwed by the economic system and Jesus is empowering these workers to stand up, stand up and, and own it but you know in the church in my experience we read these things and we instantly spiritualize them and they lose often some of the some of the meat and some of the punch that Jesus is speaking prophetically a word of justice um, 
or word against those in power perpetrating injustice, and we make it all about, you know, Jesus in my heart, when maybe that's not actually what it was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Exactly. Um, I think I think if memory serves me correctly, and I don't know if this is uh, the case, but you know, there's there's that uh, when Jesus said, "If you're asked to carry, what is it? If you're asked to carry your neighbor's clothes or cloak, if you're whatever, asked to carry a, a pack a mile, yeah, go the, carry, go carry the two miles mile. instead." Yeah, so a lot of times we interpret that as you know, let's be extra generous, extra compassionate stuff like that. Um, one of the things I heard once was that, you know, the Romans that were occupying at the time, they, they had certain rules. So so a Roman soldier could say to any citizen, you know, carry this pack for me, but he can only have them do it for a mile. Right. So if you did it longer, in a sense, you're putting the soldier in trouble because then, in a sense, he's making you, or it's, you're making it look like he's asking you to break this law. So, in a sense, it was, it's kind of a civil disobedience That's right. uh, kind of act, which is really to get put your oppressor in trouble. It's really not about being compassionate. Yeah, See, this and, goes with my whole thing that Jesus was a rebel. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the other thing, <laughs> the other thing he's doing there is is saying when you carry it that second mile. You're doing it on your own terms, and you're doing it as a free person, not as someone who is commanded by right. someone more powerful than you to do it. And that I like makes, that. Go ahead. It makes, yeah, well, it makes that person look, look bad, like Ogan said, or potentially get in legal uh, trouble or trouble with their uh, um, overseer. Uh, exactly. You know. but, it, but what I, Brian, what I, what I like about what you just said is that no matter what situation you're in, nobody has complete control over you. Right. You yep. always have some power um, yeah. in the situation. So, I mean, in, in a sense, the, the, that goes against a lot of the understanding we have that these parables present in terms of it's about love and compassion and service. And here it is about, like you said, uh, being sub- subversive and right. being rebellious in a fairly you know, nonviolent way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, being nonviolent or peace-loving doesn't mean get rolled over right. always. And, right. and, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, let's be honest, led to his eventual crucifixion because, that's, you know. Yeah, great point. Yeah, they don't kill guys who are just around, you know, in flowing right. robes and telling everyone, <laughs> you know, let's hug and and well, You know, when it comes to uh, occupation, the Romans were um, fairly benevolent in terms of, you know, pay your taxes and don't stir up trouble, and we'll we'll be okay. Um, you know, once you stir up trouble, they'll you know flatten your whole town. But um, but if you just did that, you were kind of okay. And they were, you know, they didn't make you take on their religion. They didn't, you know, their customs, their ways. Like like some occupiers will um, not giving them a free pass by any stretch of the imagination, but. But it just goes to show if Jesus got himself crucified under Roman law, he obviously stirred some stuff up, mm-hmm. not just with, you know, his people or the or the Jewish authorities, but with the Romans as well. Did you guys read uh, was it Zealot? Did you read Zealot by Reza Aslan? I need to read it. I have a friend oh. reading it right now, but I have not read it yet. 
great book. One of the things he talks about was um, that I love was um, that whole story with Jesus um, in front of Polonius Pilate that probably never happened because uh, Pilate was a man who was historically notoriously cruel and he didn't think nothing about signing off on the death of a hundred people a day. It was nothing right. for him to do that. Um, so for him to meet with this single person whom, you know, local rabbis weren't happy with and then to find no fault with him was not something Pilate would have, the historical Pilate would have done. Pilate would have, you know, people would have brought a list of here's the rabble rouse and Pilate would have been like, okay, here's my signature, go crucify them, end of story. He's not going to take an audience with, you know, some Jewish rabble rouser. But but the theory is, is that because later when um, there was um, an attempt to soften Pilate's image for the sake of the Romans who now Paul is now trying to convert later because, because Paul and his writings and his teachings, you know, they, well, the writings at least, they, you know, they predated the Gospels even though, you right. know, they need to put the New Testament in chronological order. We, Wouldn't our, that be our, so our, interesting? Our mind blown a little bit. You know, it would be. That's a great point. I think people would start picking it apart more, though. That's a great because, point. Because the inconsistencies would be more obvious. Trust me, there, there's nobody, there's enough people picking apart the New Testament. That's not going to be the issue. Yeah. Um, but but people read it. I, I think I think the general understanding is that you know these gospels were written before Paul's letters because they speak of. Jesus' life, where, you know, the letters of Paul, and, you know, to get to your later question about Paul and his version of Christianity, that, that all his stuff predated uh, these Gospels, because Paul was determined to be the face of this Christian movement. And in, and in the book, I think it's in Zealot still, maybe it's another book I read, uh, there's this, there's this uh, thought that... Um, when Paul showed up and wanted to be like the face of the of that early Christian movement, which was being led by Jesus's biological brother James, they were all like, "Dude, who are you? Like, you're because you're a converted Roman. You think you're gonna come in here and run the show and we right. here all the time? No, we we not having it." So Paul in Huff basically says, "Well, if y'all not gonna take me, I'm gonna go out and speak to everybody else and get my audience that way." And that's why he's out walking around converting everybody else based on his understanding of Jesus' message, which he was not around for. So I mean, when we talk about context, this is this is my this is uh, my if I have fault or hesitation with putting too much emphasis on on Paulianity, you know, Christianity according to Paul, is that you know he he wasn't around to hear Jesus' message. He's forming his own Christology on secondhand information. Some would say he had his conversion experience, so it was first hand information, but you know. That's not Yeah. Yeah, he says in Galatians, uh, you know, the gospel that I received I I got from no human being. I got it from the source, you know, I got it directly from God. Uh, anybody can claim a mystical experience. Let's just well <laughs> and I have to say, out of all <laughs> the people in, the, in the New Testament, out of all the people in the New Testament, I am most skeptical most skeptical about him. So Just Brian, because... here's here's my theory. I'm 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 nowadays I'm treating the Bible like the internet. You know, you know how to say it's on the internet, so it's real. Well, you know, can we say the same thing about the Bible? 
Ooh, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. And letters about that. <laughs> yeah, we we might we might. And Tina, you make a great point. I think a lot of people would feel the same as you that ah, Paul kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit um, because he often talks about himself in a way that you know seems like he's trying to you know make himself look good. He's like I was advancing in Judaism uh, way beyond my peers, and you know God entrusted this message uh, to me alone. Um, I mean, he just uses a lot of, of language that seems like he's going out of his way to tell us how great he is. Yeah, it was more uh, about him than it was about, yeah. He was and, promoting himself. Yeah, and the other thing we have to remember, again, all those epistles, not necessarily written by Paul. Um, right, right. Dispute about that. And talk about context, again, those epistles, some of them written to specifically address issues that specific early Christian groups were having as they're trying to assimilate this new Christianity with whatever they had been experiencing before. So some issues are coming up. They're writing to Paul, and Paul's reading their letters, and I think Paul's sitting going like, oh, my God, what am I going to tell these people now? You know, let me, let me try and pull something together for their particular situation. So, again... You know, because that's the specific context people are are having an experience with, is that is that what you know the Christian movement is about, or is it addressing a specific context? Now, even if it is specific, um, addressing a specific thing, do we have to apply that wholesale to you know the story of Christianity? Good question. It's uh, a good question. Uh, and to give Paul his due, I mean, you know, he was kind of the best post-Jesus PR man there was. So I don't, um, I don't think Christianity would have survived if it hadn't been for him, and and his going around starting communities. You know, the OG, the OG church planter. Um, so he going around starting communities, getting to Rome, and being so influential that people, that the Romans are now converting. So, you know, he did his fair share of work, but it's kind of, it's, it, it's, you know, do we give him full credit as being the, the face, the voice of Christianity that we should? Well, it's, it, you know, <laughs> it's the integrity behind all the work he put into it. Um, like you always say, it's about a good story. It's not about the truth. That's, that's that sums Paul up to me. And I, yeah. why I don't like him. <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, I think we certainly give him a lot of credit, but sometimes we'll give him credit by saying he he got things off the rail a little bit and um, put a focus on some things that maybe Jesus wasn't. Uh, and I think a lot of uh, Pauline texts are what we go to when we want to talk about Jesus dying uh, on the cross for our sins as a substitutionary atonement and Paul talking about uh, heaven or life after death and so we you know I think it's sometimes easy to read Paul as obsessing about salvation via Jesus death and eternal life via his resurrection whereas we look at Jesus and his focus seemed to be more on um, this message of the kingdom of God and people experiencing God every day uh, by living lives of love and forgiveness um, and seeking justice and sometimes being disobedient to prove that. And so it feels like is one a, was one a totally spiritual thing and one more of an earthly thing? Yeah, Brian. It feels like the way, when you say it like that, it feels like 
Paul is the one who tainted Christianity. He's the first one that planted that seed. <laughs> no, well, I wouldn't say tainted. I think what, what Paul did was expand upon it. I think because when you... In what way, Ogan? Well, let me explain. I'm getting there. So when you read when you read the epistles, there are there are addressed very specific issues about marriage, about the relationship between slaves and their masters, about things that happen in church, about the deacons in the church. They're very specific issues. So basically it's like Jesus came, he had this great message about, you know, all that wonderful stuff Brian just said, which I don't remember because it's late and I'm tired. Um and you so, had beer. And I had beer. So so Jesus had this message. Okay. So then what's the next phase? Is a group of Jews who said, you know what, we're going to embrace this message and, and distort it. And start our own little spin off move movement. So now this little spin off movement, the early the early Christian church, which probably still isn't being called Christian yet, right. is is starting to spread, starting to grow. And now they're saying, Well, okay, we have this belief system, but here's the issues that are coming up. Now, how do we put these beliefs and teachings that Jesus uh, said, how do they apply to these nitty-gritty specific situations? Who are we going to ask about this? And here's Paul providing some answers. So that's what I mean by expansion. He's taken it from something that's a little uh, more um, nuanced and esoterical that Jesus might have shared to, like, here's, like, some nitty-gritty daily day-to-day -day stuff that we have in our lives. And so one of the me... biggest... Oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was going to yeah. say one of the biggest one of the biggest tensions that he was dealing with was uh, non-Jews coming into the movement, Gentiles, and you know they were still living their Jewish lives and Jewish practice, and the biggest markers for that um, were circumcision, eating kosher, and I think Sabbath observance, um, and so you know they're following the torah and they are saying well to join our jesus movement you have to do the things we've always had to do that mark us out is who we are and paul is saying no that's bs what this jesus did is so radical that he opened up a way for all to come in without having to do any special thing and that's where i think and i learned this from uh, jesus paul scholar daniel kirk uh, last night um, that's where perhaps there's a bit a closer connection between Paul and Jesus. That he's saying we need to we need to push back against these social constructs and open up uh, the door to eat with the wrong people. And can you blame the Gentiles for not wanting to do the circumcision thing? I don't blame them. That's right. They heard the I knife sharpening and said no. Thanks. When when we restart, can you get your um, can you get that guy on with us? I want to talk to him. He's good. We should get him on. In fact, I, I joined his podcast yesterday, so he needs to return the favor. I agree. Oh, speaking of restarting, we should we should make clear to folks what's going on. Yes. Oh, we, oh that was pre-show. Go ahead. Yeah, we got four <laughs> minutes left. Do it. <laughs> so it is episode 20, and we've had a nice strong run, I think, since January uh, doing this weekly. And uh, we've all got some summer plans and things happening in our lives, a bit of travel or other things. And so we're going to take a little break, uh, first part of the summer, but we will be back in August, uh, you know, rip-roaring, ready to go, uh, bringing you uh, the insightful and witty conversation you've come to covet each week from this show. And, and, and slight, slightly buzzed. Um, <laughs> uh, what is our return date, August 9th? August yeah. 9, look for us back 
Tuesday, August 9, 9 p.m., as always. And to, and to steal a bit from the pre-show, um, uh, you know, Brian, Brian kind of led with, and this is, this, is, this is a great example of the importance of context. So Brian led that statement, well, this is episode 20, and here's what's happening, as though episode, it being episode 20 bore some important relevance to the decision-making process. It just so happened that we decided to take a break now, and it turned out to be episode 20. Don't confuse coincidence with correlation. Oh, no, I think the whole universe has conspired to make episode 20 this uh, magical moment we've just shared, as well as, hey, why don't you guys take a break for a few and weeks? This, and this right here is the microcosm of the whole problem with Christianity, right here. <laughs> you're, you're that, that's a perfect example. Is it a is a universal confluence working out, or is it just we are just making connections where there were none before? Well, isn't that what it is, though, Ogan? That, isn't that what I just said? <laughs> is it divine inspiration, or was it just this last sip of beer? Is it is it both and? Mm. You know, aren't aren't they one and the same? One could argue. That's what I'm saying. Oh, is that what you were saying? Yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. She's talking about a unity. This is a concept you should be familiar with, not a <laughs> not a duality. You know what? Here's the truth about here's the truth about our movement called unity. <laughs> There's no such thing. I was gonna uh, say, oh my gosh, he's yes. had a lot of beer. Yes. If he's gonna start saying this stuff, go ahead. No, literally, listen. Keep going. It's almost after not, show. <laughs> we actually have two parent organizations. We have we are run by two. You know, oh, I always thought that was hysterical. Right. So in a in a sense, there kind of is no unity in unity. It is it is the it is it is like any great tradition, the 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 paradox that runs the truth. Yeah, you can't no take doubt. a human out of it. <laughs> no, it's exactly right. Well, any uh, since we are going to take a break uh, for the summer, any last uh, wisdom that you want to share before we sign off tonight? Ooh, pressure's on. Oh, are you talking to us? Oh, God, yeah. no. Oh, well. <laughs> I, thought, I thought maybe the guest we have on this week who has not here. spoken up yet. <laughs> I'm not here for wisdom. I'm here for a witty commentary. <laughs> any witty comments that you would like to... Oh, well, you know what? Um, uh, for those people who may be coming later to us, this is a great opportunity to go back and catch up on the on earlier episodes if you haven't yet. Um, um, I apologize in advance for the for the roughshod nature of the first couple episodes. I think it's taken us 20... Don't you apologize? That was fun! <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say before rudely interrupted... <laughs> as, as per usual. <laughs> as per usual. She always thinks she knows where I'm going. Um, uh, I think it's really taken us 20 episodes to really find our groove uh, in terms of of how we are with each other on uh, on the show. And I think we have now come to a place of enjoying it greatly. Brian Brian has loosened up a lot. You know, he's very he's very stoic and tight lipped at the beginning. Now now he's just dropping dropping the humor all over the place, especially in the Especially in the pre and post shows, so you know Brian's loosen yeah. up. Um, uh, Tina has just always been as um, funnily don't even say that yeah. funnily okay. funny funny and intoxicated as as she's ever been. Um, but but yeah, and so I think I think it's I think it's been a really great first first season if you if you say um, uh, we call it let's call it our first season why not we're making this up as we go along Ooh, I like the season one so episode season one, one. In, in the bag and I'm gonna encourage folks we'll to call it the curry season 
I like it. I like it. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. All right, my parting shot here was uh, on our sheet, uh, and that is that someone has said that we should not so much tell God's story as be the story that God is telling. Absolutely so, agree. Absolutely take, agree. Take that little nugget with you, uh, whatever your beliefs, whatever your religious tradition, or uh, if you don't believe in God, uh, seek to uh, yeah, be the change you want to see in the world. Man, he went all—he just took a left turn and went all Hindu on us. Oh, don't worry. Exactly. Let's go after show. Well, hey, as 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 Ogan said, this is a perfect time to go back and listen to prior episodes. You can do that on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. Please connect and share uh, the word about Pup Theology Live on social media. And if in this interim you say, "Hey, I want to hang out with some people at my local brewery or bar and talk some theology." You can find a Pub Theology group near you at pubtheology.com. And we want to say thanks again to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. That's C-E-L-L-A-R. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you. And keep listening, as always, for your chance to win free beer. And we are out. See you in August. Mm -hmm.